Welcome back to the Apostles Mailbox, where the job is to build up the body of Christ, and today's topic is art. Okay, well, today we're not actually talking about art, uh, but we are talking about representations of reality. Um, in other words, we're going to be discussing a little bit of the theory of theology. Now, theology is a word. It really refers to the knowledge or the study of God. And the question then is, how should theology operate? And what I'm wanting to sort of drive at today is this question of, should theology give us a more complicated picture of who God is or a less complicated picture of who God is? And what do I mean by that? Well, let's imagine that you are a, a Sunday school teacher, and it's your job to teach five-year-olds about God. What would you do? Well, uh, you could try to explain all of the complexity of everything the Bible says about God, or you could say, well, let's just try to take some of these hard-to-grasp concepts and let's boil them down a little bit and simplify them, and then we'll teach them to these kids with maybe a nice little pithy saying that comes with a rhyme and a song and maybe even some hand actions, and voila, they'll know who God is. Uh, and for its, for its purposes, of course, I believe that would suffice uh, while they're five. The question is, what happens when they become six, or 16, or 36? Uh, what happens when they're 60 years old? Uh, does your theology uh, change to keep pace with them, or does it remain more or less the same? Now, I, I pastored for a grand total of about 10 years. I was uh, either teaching or preaching in some capacity during those years, and, and I think I got stuck in the habit of of sort of thinking that the job of theology was to dumb God down. Uh, and I don't mean to make him out to be dumb, but to take these really complicated and difficult passages in Scripture and to try to sort of synthesize them, to stick them together, and to, to come up with a very basic description that would actu accurately capture the, the sort of the core of the idea behind those passages. And now as I look at it, I've been challenged to think that perhaps, perhaps that wasn't such a good idea. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, today. So I wanted to start with uh, a look into the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews gives us this picture of Jesus that implies that there was knowledge about God that was true and right and good in the Old Testament, uh, but that it was sort of superseded uh, by Christ. Let's just read the passage, actually. Okay, so the author of Hebrews writes, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right, So, of course, this passage is about who Jesus is, and uh, we're not going to go into that today uh, as much as to point something out about the nature of Revelation. Okay, So, we begin with this idea here that long ago, that is, in the past, God spoke, right? God spoke through the prophets. So, you have all of this Old Testament uh, scriptures that was written down by the prophets, and, and you even perhaps have this indicator that there were other prophetic utterances that weren't recorded in scripture, but God was speaking to his people uh, through the prophets. Uh, and that was 
That was long ago. That was in times past. But now the author of Hebrews says something has changed, that God has spoken uh, by his Son. Of course, this would be uh, directly through the teachings of Jesus, who, who spoke everything God told him to speak, right? But also, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So this is why Jesus is able to tell his disciples, like, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Or, sorry, vice versa. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because Jesus exactly represents the character of God. Now, uh, you can't you can't view, of course, some of God's invisible attributes, right? His perfect knowledge, for instance. Uh, but if you've seen Christ, that is an accurate representation, the, the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews says, right? And so you have, in the Old Testament, you have this accurate picture of who God is as he reveals himself through the prophets. But when Jesus comes along, Jesus gives us a, a fuller picture of who God is. If you knew Jesus perfectly, then you would, you would rightly perceive who God the Father is. Um, but the question then, of course, is that um, is Jesus able to be reduced down into uh, simplistic definitions? And furthermore, is God able to be reduced down to simplistic definitions? And furthermore, the question is, should we do that? Or to what extent should we do that? We're getting a little bit theoretical here. Um, and so, uh, let's just look at something else that Jesus said, okay? So, in John 16, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I still have many things to say to you. Not just a few, right? But many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is here, he's teaching his disciples to expect that after Jesus leaves, the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, is going to teach them things that he didn't teach them. Right? And so, there is again this picture of like, Jesus has already told the disciples at this point, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, and now he's telling him, but there's things I haven't told you, things that are yet to be known that the Spirit of Truth revealed to you. And that brings us to a bit of a, of a theoretical question. And that, and that question might be the question of, well, uh, does that mean that everything else that Jesus had for his people to know was revealed to the authors of the New Testament later on who faithfully recorded it or does that possibly refer to things that the Holy Spirit might teach uh, to believers who have been given the Holy Spirit that aren't recorded in Scripture? And I don't think the Scriptures themselves actually definitively answer that question. Now, if you chose your answer ahead of time and you decided what you wanted to be true, you could probably find some Scriptures uh, to, to sort of prove your point or, or support your point. Um, but I can't think of, of any scripture that definitively says, uh, that's it, nothing more is to be known. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uh, quite clearly says, 
in, in, in speaking of a, of a time yet to come, he says, then I will know fully, even as we are know, as even as we are fully known. He says, I know in part now, and I prophesy in part. So at least at the time of 1 Corinthians, Paul's like, eh, we don't know everything yet. The day will come uh, when we do know fully. And so the, the question, of course, is not, uh, is there more to be known? That is certainly clear. The question is, how much more will be known, and where can we find that? Now, if you're in the evangelical tradition, if you're a Protestant, you probably grew up with this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture, that everything that is necessary uh, for life and godliness is found in the Bible. And therefore, there's nothing outside of the Bible that you need to know. And I think that's a fairly uh, accurate way of describing Scripture, is to say that it's sufficient, but... Uh, what that doesn't state is it does that that doctrine itself doesn't require that there might not be other things to know which are not strictly necessary, but which are still helpful and beneficial and good. And so, if we back up out of our little, if if we're in an evangelical bubble, uh, if we back up a little bit, we'll note uh, that in the Eastern Orthodox Church and in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, they don't hold to this idea that only the Scripture is authoritative, but they'll say that God has revealed Himself in His Word and also through the Church, through His through the Spirit to His Church, and that there are Church traditions uh, that we can look to as as sources of understanding of God, and that there is authority figures within the Church who who have a deeper understanding that we can learn from. And although I'm not quite ready to become a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox, I think there's probably something there that we as evangelical Protestants miss. Or perhaps we don't miss it, but we also just won't admit it. And here's what I mean by that, right? So, if you read a book, let's say you read a book by your favorite Christian author who's going to explain things in the Bible, what they're going to do is they're going to take the text and they're going to explain it, and often they will explain it by use of analogy or illustration. They might bring in some history. They might bring in some external documents to help you understand the scripture, and they might take a, a simple topic and sort of flesh it out a little bit. And depending on what uh, where you're at in the church and the, the habits of your author, they might add a, a little bit of speculation or a lot bit of speculation, or they might speculate and not label it as speculation. They might just tell you things are true about God that aren't specifically demanded in Scripture. And so I find this often when I read. Somebody will say, well, so-and-so is uh, the way God operates, and I go, um, well, it's possible uh, but the text that you just read, that you're professed to be explaining to me, it doesn't actually state what you're saying. It leaves room for it, but it doesn't prove it. And I think probably more than anything, we're just uh, intellectually a little bit uh, inconsistent, perhaps, with the fact that even even evangelical Protestants will often look to the experience and the wisdom and the knowledge of other believers to help us understand things about God. And I don't think that it's a bad thing that we would look to other people's learnings uh, and learn from it as well. Um, 
I think it's perhaps bad that we would claim that we are uh, sola scriptura, that we only use scripture, when clearly uh, our understanding of scripture is informed uh, by by frankly outside sources. So uh, I don't want to get too bogged down into that, but here's what I did want to sort of come to, is this question of when we study God, right? We've seen if you take something complicated and you boil it down, you, you lose something, uh, should our theology work in the opposite direction? In other words, when we grow in wisdom, ought our understanding of God to become more complicated? And the initial reaction is like, no, right? When you know God better, it should get easier. And from a certain point of view, you would say it might get easier, but it certainly becomes more nuanced. So consider Hebrews 5. Let's go back to Hebrews for a minute. About this, the author of Hebrews writes, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay, so I read this and I notice a few things quite quickly that are a little bit challenging to me. Okay, number one is that uh, we ought to be teachers where the, the audience here ought to be teachers, but they still need milk, right? Because they are, they are not mature yet. And that solid food is for people who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so the author of Hebrews here seems to be saying, like, you can't go on to maturity until you have this constant practice of continually discerning good from evil. We have to become, as Christians, we have to become adept at sorting out, at sorting through all kinds of information and teaching and whatever, and learning how to weed out what is true, what is good, from what is evil, or what is twisted or distorted. Okay? But here's where it gets interesting to me. Okay? So he says, Let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Okay, not laying a foundation, again, of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So I'm just going to underline these. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> in your faith tradition, um, have you mastered this topic of the laying on of hands and instructions about washings? Uh, and I, I'm going to guess that the answer is maybe not so much, right? <laughs> have you mastered this topic of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment? Uh, or do we come back to these things? Uh, are you stuck in repentance from dead works 
and faith towards God. And you, and you say, well, yes, of course, of, uh, of course we are, aren't we? Well, here's the deal. I was at this uh, retreat last week with a bunch of pastors and, and church leaders, uh, primarily from within an evangelical denomination, and and uh, people who are very well acquainted with the Word of God and who who delight in in understanding and and teaching the Bible. And we were discussing things of the Bible and of the Spirit, and and a question came up about the impartation of spiritual gifts. Um, how does one or does one or can one give someone a spiritual gift by laying hands on them and praying for them? And as this question was posed, everybody just kind of looked around the circle like, I don't know. Clearly, we have not uh, mastered the topic of the laying on of hands. And a few comments were made, of course, about the scriptures where Paul talks about Timothy having a gift through the laying on of hands. And there's a few other uh, references in the Bible uh, to the laying on of hands. But the reality is, is that there's not an instruction manual in the Bible. There's no uh, sort of procedural, here's how you do it. A kind of instruction in the Bible. And so there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of leeway, there's a lot of like, well, it could be many of these possible things, but we don't really know. And there were a couple stories shared about the laying on of hands, uh, but nothing was truly definitive. Now, if you're, a, if you're obsessed with, with the Bible being thoroughly sufficient and telling you everything you know about God, then ultimately you end up with these really big holes in practical theology of saying, like, what can or should or ought we to do? And the answer is that the Bible just doesn't tell you uh, specifically how to do some of these things. There's implication, there's an assumption that people would know, but there's no clear instruction manual. And the author of Hebrews tells us that, hey, those are just basic, simple things, and you ought to be ready to go on to deeper things. And we then, as, as, as church leaders, as pastors in a, in a Bible-saturated context, uh, haven't mastered some of the things that the author of Hebrews describes as elementary doctrine. And it got me to wondering... Are we stuck, maybe, trying always to reduce things down to simplicity and dwelling in that simplicity, and has it prevented us from, in some ways, growing or experiencing more of God? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. It's a, it's a challenging question for me. You know, I've, as a, as a preacher, I've had people make comments to me, you know, like, well, pastor, I wish you would just explain the gospel message more frequently. And I, I and I, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you've been in this church for 20, 30 years. Like, haven't you heard it enough yet? And, and they're, they're thinking like, we, you know, we just need to hear the gospel clearly. Just keep it simple. Keep the, the clear, simple gospel presentation. And if we had in, in the church that I pastored, you know, massive amounts of newcomers walking into our service every week, and we knew like this is probably we're going to have new people every week, and, and they do need to hear the gospel, then, then I would have explained it in simple terms a whole lot more often. Uh, but the reality is, is that most of the time we knew the people who were there and we knew they'd heard the gospel. And if they showed up for a few weeks, they'd, they'd hear again and again and again the good news of Jesus Christ repeated in many different ways. 
But there were some in the church who that's all they wanted was just to, to come back and to hear the same story taught again and again and again and again. And that, in some ways, that that disturbed me because to me it says that there is in that person this mentality of like, I think I've pretty much mastered the Christian faith. I think I pretty much know everything there is to know. I think there's probably not much more for me to learn. And so uh, why don't we just keep it simple for everybody else as well? Um, and 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 that's a that's a disturbing thought because if we consider that God is infinite and that he is transcendent, that he is bigger than this universe, that he, that he spoke, that he imagined all this, right? He made it all up. He spoke it into existence. And then we think like, oh, we can distill him down into a, you know, into a catechism class or into a confirmation class or into a, you know, essentials of the faith, a membership class or what, you know, whatever your church tradition is. Uh, and we're going to distill like the whole faith down into a dozen or two dozen or maybe even a couple years worth of sort of systematic education. And then that's it. And you've arrived. Um, I think our view of God is far too small. And I think we've taken something beautiful and something great and something that ought to be infinitely inviting. And we have, because we have taught and we have assumed that the only thing to be known about God is that which is written in the pages of Scripture, um, I think we've taken something infinitely large and we have, we have treated it as a small, human-sized thing. And we make God into our own image, I think. And it's a real tragedy in the church that we're so busy always trying to take a big and great and impressive God and make him small and understandable and in some ways almost manipulable. Like, uh, just teach me the three things I got to do to get my prayer answered. Teach me the, the five proper ways to pray and so I can do this. Like, show me the rhythm of how to do this religious act so that I don't have to feel guilty anymore. Uh, we try to to distill God down into something that we can control and use and manipulate and, and master, uh, rather than to continually surrender and look and to seek more and more of Him. And I don't mean to get, you know, bogged down in minutiae arguing about things like how many angels can fit on the head of a pin or, or any nonsense like that, but really the question of, of allowing God to draw us deeper up into Him. And this is actually um, the reason why I think C.S. Lewis is so beloved by uh, Protestant evangelicals, though they don't know it. Um, Lewis believed and taught things that, that many mainline conservative Christians wouldn't or sorry, not mainline, but many conservative Christian today, you know, the Baptist tradition would not agree with a lot of what Lewis believed and taught, but they quote him and they love him. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because Lewis is so different from Protestant evangelical theology in that Lewis doesn't seek to take these complex issues and, and force them into being smaller. Right? So he tries to invite people up into a deeper understanding of God, and he does this by way of analogy and example and supposition and question and imagination. And Lewis is, is fre frequently, he will call himself a bad theologian. I think he's an excellent one because he's so different from the 
bad professional theologians, right? That, that he, he is always looking for glimpses of something big, but he always understands like to take a transcendent God and to smash him into fear, purely physical human terms is to miss something and to lose something. And so he'll give you this like beautiful example, this picture of wonder and glory, and then he'll be quick to say, but of course that's not the whole story and that can't be the whole story. And of course you know that God is bigger than that. And so there's always this like protection, like don't think God is that small. This might be a good way of inviting us to, to be in awe of him and to understand him a little bit better, but, but ultimately it's going to fall short. And so when you read Lewis, he invites you to think of God as bigger instead of God as smaller. And I think that's why in a, in a culture that is so like based around taking hard texts and trying to make them simple and distill them and, and just get the like the core meaning out of them. It's like a breath, a breath of fresh air. So I'll give you a, a visual example if you're watching on YouTube. Sorry if you're <laughs> if you're on listening to the audio here. Imagine that you have this picture of a of a water lily. And it's it's quite a beautiful picture. Uh, but I want you to stop for a minute, and I want you to try to just imagine if you were actually there looking at this water lily. Okay, you would see that it's floating on the surface of the water. Maybe there's some movement involved there, right? Maybe maybe you hear like just some peace and some <laughs> some stillness around you, some insects, some frogs, some some of nature, a little bit of wind maybe, and... And, and you look, and this lily is not static. It's not stuck there. It's not a picture, but it's a real living thing, and it's got texture, and it's got volume, and, and maybe if you get close, you can smell it, and you can see maybe some bugs crawling on it, and it's, it's alive, and it's beautiful, right? And that, that experience is something that cannot be compressed into this picture, Right? If you look at that picture, it, it's an accurate picture of a water lily, and it's, it's a beautifully taken picture. It's a nice picture, but it's not the experience of seeing that lily. Right? And, and if, if you had to pass this picture on, if you had to try to describe it uh, or, or teach somebody how to draw a lily, you might come up with something even less realistic like this. And is this picture, of course, a, a picture of a lily? Yes. Is it a faithful representation? Well, it's all right. Um, but, but there's some shading there that maybe it would be hard to teach somebody to do that shading. So maybe you simplify it even more and now you end up with this, which is just flat colors and, and, and straight lines. Not, not super well done. It, it, it's a lily, but it's, it's not the lily that we started with, right? And it's not the real thing. And if you got stuck in thinking of, of only the picture, only the line drawing, only these abstractions, these two-dimensional pictures of a lily and you said that is a lily you'd be in some ways we, we would say you're right but we would say oh you're wrong and you're missing out on so much and i think when we look at the bible i think this is sort of how i i feel like god has, has just been calling calling me to think of the bible sort of as a as a two as a good 2d representation of god um, but it's 2d it's two-dimensional it's not three-dimensional it doesn't uh, live and breathe and move. Um, it's not as good a representation of God as Jesus Christ was when he walked the earth. Quite frankly, the 
the disciples, uh, the, the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus throughout all his ministry and learned from him and listened to him teach, and they knew him, they knew what he was like, they knew how he'd respond to things. They saw God in ways that are deeper, I think, than we do, knowing and studying the Bible, even if you know it in Greek, right? <laughs> they, they didn't perceive everything rightly at the time. When the Holy Spirit came and gave them insight, they would have been like, oh yeah, Jesus was totally like that. Oh yeah, I remember that day, right? They would have had an experience of him that was deep and profound and beautiful and wonderful. And you might say like, oh, wouldn't it have been awesome to be one of those disciples to get to walk around with Jesus and to learn from him and to, to, to sit at his feet and ask him questions and, and listen to him teach and, and learn from him. That would have been wonderful. It's too bad that all we have now is like the Bible. And John even admits at the end of John that, that he didn't tell all the stories of Jesus. And in fact, that all the stories of the things Jesus did wouldn't fit in all the books in the world. You know, it's too bad that we had to lose some of that out. But I think the reality, my friends, is that the Bible is this good representation of God, but it's not the full representation of God. It's all you need in order to understand who Jesus is, but it's not all that there is. And so Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send you the Spirit, and he is going to take from me, and he's going to give it to you, and he's going to re remind you of things, and he's going to lead you into all truth. And that, that Spirit will be with you, the Spirit of truth. And that is a promise, and that is a blessing that you have today living within you, the Holy Spirit. And so I would encourage you, especially if you grew up in this um, in this evangelical tradition of, of trying to take difficult texts and make them simple and always doing this work of like trying to take God and, and iron out all of the seeming like difficulties and, 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 and reduce him down to just these like trite statements. Or, you know, or even, you know, you look historically, the church has done this. They've taken, you know, grand whole books of the Bible and grand passages about Jesus Christ, and then sort of distilled them down to these like short creeds that you can repeat. And, and you just have to understand that those are, those are gross oversimplifications. They don't get us to a deeper understanding of God. They get us to a shallower understanding of God in some ways. They, they destroy nuance. When you take something complex and you make it simple, you lose nuance, you lose the texture, you, you, you lose that experience of who God is. And so to invite you to come back to the, to the Bible and, and stop asking this question of like, well, how does this agree or disagree with a doctrine I was taught? Or how does it fit into that doctrine I was taught? To, to come back to Scripture and say, okay, God, would you invite me into a more nuanced and deeper and fuller and more vibrant understanding of who you are? Would you let me learn from you in this particular text without... Uh, destroying it by cutting out all the parts that I don't like or that don't seem to make sense to me, would you invite me into a deeper and fuller experience of you so that I can know you better? And would you, by your Spirit, continue to walk with me and show me things that I need to learn and lead me into all truth? And then we as Christians, we can look at, we can look at other believers around us and people within our own local fellowships and people in other local fellowships. And we can say, what experiences and understandings of God have you been given? 
And would you explain them to me so that I can also possibly see him through your eyes? This doesn't mean that you should assume that just because somebody else had a certain experience and they described it as being from God, that you should necessarily say, oh, that certainly was God and I need to have that exact same experience. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that as God, by his spirit, interacts with his people, we see him and we experience him in rich and full ways. And sometimes by giving, being given somebody else's eyes to experience some of those, we might be drawn up into a greater experience of faith and expectation and trust and intimacy with God. Sometimes by listening to somebody else pray, it might shape the way in which you talk to God. It might be in a good way. It might be in a bad way too, but it might be in a good way. And you won't know until you start listening. And so uh, take that as an encouragement, really, not to look for God as like contradictory to the Bible, um, but to look for the God who reveals himself in Scripture and to resist that urge to try to take something big and beautiful and nuanced and distill it down into a soundbite or, or a Twitter-sized uh, clip. It just, you, you, you lose something. And I think a lot of us have spent a lot of our lives trying to take the, the transcendent and the beautiful and the wonderful and good, and we've been trying to distill it down so much that we just have a, a habit of losing something of God almost all the time when we approach him. So when you seek him, you will find him. Uh, God made a promise uh, through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Uh, he, he later said, a call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. First uh, Corinthians, Paul says, the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And so uh, go back to the Father in prayer. When you open your Bible or when you read a book written by another believer or when you hear a testimony of God's goodness in someone else's life and, and do so with ears of faith and of expectation and also with this understanding that God is not smaller than the text that we have about him. He is much, much bigger. And the text of scripture that we have invites us up into, it ought to invite us into greater expectation and a greater searching, not for simpler answers, but for deeper and fuller and broader answers. You know, it was uh, just this year that Apple Computer announced that they are producing a, a virtual reality headset called Vision Pro. It's $3,500 is what they're going to sell it for. Um, and <laughs> you think like it's essentially a computer monitor you strap to your face, very complex and an expensive one. Um, why would you spend $3,500 for such a thing? And the answer to that is that this device is intended to create realistic 3D representations of things. And there are certain things that if you experience them in 3D, you get a better understanding, a better intuitive feel for them than if you see it in 2D on a computer screen. And so the call or the reason for such a device is to help us understand with greater clarity and greater nuance. Now, probably a lot of people are not going to buy such a device for $3,500, but maybe someday the price will come out of the stratosphere. And maybe someday the computer monitor will be entirely a thing of the past and we'll have specialized glasses that replace it uh, because they enable us to see things with more detail and nuance and perspective than we could other otherwise have. 
And my invitation to you this week is to think of God in that way. Not, God, how can we take this 3D you and smash it down into a 2D picture on a screen? But God, would you, by your spirit, would you take the 2D representation that we find in the scripture, these descriptions, these uh, teachings, and would you would you expand them into three dimensions for us by your spirit and give us an experiential understanding of who you are, something deeper and greater and more full. So that's my prayer for you, is to look in your theology, in your study of God, in your pursuit of him, to look for something more nuanced, bigger, more complex, harder to understand in some ways, but more full and more satisfying when you finally get a hold of it, because that's who God is. He's not little. He is far, far bigger than you would ever expect.